Aerial.org if you want more information on uh, Dr. Frutenbaum's ministry, uh, which during these days with what's going on in Israel right now, I'll tell you, having someone that understands what's Jewish things is really helpful. Matter of fact, little known fact, uh, Dr. Frutenbaum, when he was, when God was training him in his years after he'd become a believer and his testimony is quite powerful, really, um, this his story. But one of the amazing things, he, he went over after he got done, I think, with graduate school. I think he had his, uh, he may have had his MDiv from uh, Dallas at that point. But he actually went over to Jerusalem, and, and it was, the year was 1967. <laughs> now, some of you historians know the 1967 war, the Six-Day War, I think it was called, you know, very significant, where the temple, all this, where Israel got control really all over, fully over Jerusalem. He was in, he was in Jerusalem when that happened. Uh, it's one of those things you can say it's coincidental, whatever. I, 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 I one of those things. Any rate, so we're going to, in the life of Jesus, we've been studying, we're early still in his ministry, we're, we've learned that he's out preaching the good news, the, uh, the gospel, which in the context of what he had been preaching at that time was the fact that uh, he was preaching specifically to the Jewish nation, that generation that the Messiah himself was here, John Baptist had already identified him as such as the forerunner, as Isaiah had talked about and that the kingdom was being offered to that Jewish generation, and Jesus is demonstrating his authority by healing people, casting out demons. Now, the story we're going to look at tonight, I entitled tonight's uh, Bible study, Getting Everything You Want from Jesus. I figure this one should get a lot of hits, you know, getting everything you want from Jesus. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give an account of this story, and we're going to begin in Mark chapter number one, because I want you to see Mark's version of it first, and then we're going to look at the other gospel writers and see what they have to say as well. So Mark chapter one, verse number 16. Matter of fact, before we do that, let me pray, and then we'll get into this. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of being here tonight. Uh, thank you for the freedom we enjoy. Lord, our heart at this time, we lift up the nation of Israel to you and Prime Minister Netanyahu and uh, just all the, the, the folks involved there. We pray for those who are bound in captivity right now. I pray that you'd supernaturally protect them and, and uh, God may you be there in the presence of the nightmare that some of these folks and even some of our fellow American citizens uh, may still be living in. God, we pray that this wickedness would be destroyed and um, Lord, help our nation um, uh, understand uh, the, the privilege and responsibility is to be a friend to Israel. Um, uh, Lord, I pray tonight as we look into your word and see your ministry that we would be challenged and encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, Mark chapter number one, we're going to pick things up in verse number 16. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the whole little story, the whole thing that happens here, and then we'll move on from there, all right? Mark one, verse number 16. Now, as he, Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brothers, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. Him. And he had gone a little farther thence. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Now, this is a, a, an amazing story that we find here, and this is a great example of why understanding the order and, and the harmony of the Gospels is an important thing. Um, haven't we already in our Life of Messiah series, haven't we already been there, done this with this particular story? 
If you've been with me through the waves, we have. We've seen a basic kind of thing like this earlier on uh, in the relationship that Jesus has with uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew here. Um, but we've discovered, and if you've listened to all the life Messiah, you'll know that my position would be that at this point in the, their relationship, they're already believers. They've recognized that Jesus is who John Baptist pointed him out to be. Um, and this is an important story, and what I want to teach you tonight is significant you understand why it's important to look at all the information before you're starting to just interpret things, but many people use this passage of Scripture. Um, can I name drop a little bit? Pastor Danny left. I, maybe he's not in here, but... Um, you know, David Platt, you know, wrote some best-selling books, and he has some interesting things. You know, he's, he was out of Birmingham. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? He wrote the book Radical, um, which th it had some good things to say. Christians should get more committed in their faith. But the next verse he wrote, he just kept drifting more and more into clear lordship salvation. And, and they will use verses, this exact verse, for example, and say, if you're a genuine believer, the, the evidence is that you leave your family and you forsake all, and that's what's required to, to be a believer. And they'll use this story. And, you know, it sounds all convincing. But I would ask them, haven't we already been there, done that in the, in the storyline with Jesus? And a lot of times they don't either understand that. I don't know, maybe they haven't checked it out. But the question is, is this really a salvation, a conversion, an eternal conversion story? Now, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Peter and his friends tending to the nets and he tells them to forsake all and follow him and they do. But is that the way that the Bible teaches that someone gets to heaven? Is that what you find taught in the Gospel of John and in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that you have to forsake all and, and follow him? I, at some point, it, it is my perspective, is my conviction more than perspective you're saying you have to do something to earn your salvation. It, you can, people go, oh, no, no, it's not. The only work, as Jesus talked about in John, is the work of faith, and that is Jesus said, this is the work you can do, believe on him the Father has sent. That's what you can do, is believe. That's it. And so I, I really struggle with that and say, well, okay, well, what's happened up to this point? Well, remember John Baptist had pointed out that Jesus was the Messiah who would do what? take away the sins of the world. The, 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 the idea that Jesus as the Messiah would both be the Jewish Messiah to set up the kingdom and also be the one that would remove sin and, and grant everlasting life. Uh, uh, John Baptist had clearly identified that, that there was a sin problem there and, and John Baptist is the one that told, uh, I think it was Andrew and the others, to some of his own disciples said, this is the one I told you, you know, follow him and they believed that Jesus was who John said he was and who Jesus said he was and they believed and that faith is what counts for righteousness, right? Same thing at Abraham. It says about Abraham. And then they begin traveling with Jesus. And up to this point, we've already seen a lot of things. You know, the water and the wine. We've seen a lot of miracles already. So what's going on here? How do we, how do we then interpret this? Well, we need to go to Luke's account um, to, to see maybe more of the details. So I want you to leave Mark, and I want you to go over to Luke chapter number 5, all right? Luke chapter number 5, and let's see why does Mark, who's more interested in all the action that Jesus walked along, they're fishing, he says, you know, forsake your nets and follow me, and they do, and, you know, what, then, then, then what is going on here? Well, I think if we look into the, the Luke's perspective on this same event, 
I think we'll understand it more clearly, all right? Uh, Luke chapter five, beginning in verse number one. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is just another name that the Sea of Galilee was known by. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. So here again, we're told Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee and people are pressing on him. What we're told new here is they were pressing on him to be taught the scripture. You know, I know that right now it's not real popular in America, you know, when you hear, uh, you know, that someone's going to stand up and preach the word of God that, you know, a lot of people aren't interested. You know, after 9-11, there was a little more interest. Remember that? And right now in Israel, I have found there's a little more interest. And I'm going to tell you, but, you know, without, with, you know, we were, somebody and I were discussing the gift of the prophet. I think it was uh, Will, uh, not Will Sanchez, but Will Lanham and I were discussing this. I'm going to get a little bit of a profit here, but you know, I, I could see the day not too far where in America we might again, once again, be a little more interested in what God has to say, given what our circumstance may be. And these folks wanted, they, they'd followed Jesus and they wanted to be taught. Now we can be fairly sure, according to verse 1 and 2, that it was pretty early in the morning. Now you say, why is that? If you read that again, it just says he was stood by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two ships standing out. How do we know it was early in the morning? Good, good one, Mike O'Brien. Mike, give Mike a score. Did Julie give you the answer? I'm, I'm guessing she probably did. Um, it tells us in verse number two that they were washing their nets. Now again, you've got to go to first century Jewish fisher, fishing industry things, what, how they did it back in that day. And why would they be washing their nets? Well, the, the nets that they typically used to fish in those days were called trammel nets. And it was a, a net system that was made up of three basic layers. And the first layer, the, the holes in the net were bigger. And the second layer, they were a little smaller. And then the third layer, they were smaller yet. So the fish could come in the first one, you know, pretty easily. And then it, it, instead of turning around when it saw an obstacle, it said the best thing to do when a fish gets scared is it darts ahead, right? That's what they do. And so then it would go into the, the middle one. And if it was a big fish, it might get stuck there. If it was a smaller fish, it'd get through that one. But then it'd go to the third level, which is a finer one and it would get caught in there and then after as the fish wouldn't go through there then after they'd let them sit there a while the fishermen do what the bible tells us and pull out of the water and there you you know you 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 catch your fish and these nets were far more effective at night because while fish are you know they're not the brightest thing in the world but depending on the species of fish and their eyesight and all this stuff. But sometimes when they can see a net, they're a little more hesitant of it. But in the dark, when they can't see it, they swim in there. So these were nets. And in first century Jerusalem, they did most of their fishing at night. So when they came in at late at night, they fished all night. And early in the morning, they'd come back in as the sun was coming up and uh, to preserve their nets for use because this was an expensive asset in their business. Um, you know, that they, they, they had to clean them, wash them for them to last longer. Matter of fact, we'll see it in a minute, but in verse number five, Peter tells them, Master, we have toiled all the night. If you want to proof text what I'm telling you when you see the Jewish perspective. Verse five, Peter identifies, we've been out there all night, Lord. And that's exactly what you'd expect to find the way first century fishing was typically done there in the Sea of Galilee. 
So we know that it was very early in the morning. The fishermen were out there all night, and when dawn came, the light came up, that's when they would pull the boats in. So a little, you know, maybe an hour after dawn, a half hour, I don't know, light was up. And here it is, very early in the morning, and Jesus has a standing room only audience. I put in my notes, we start at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, and that is way too early for some people. (laughs) So now I agree, because I can hear what Brock is thinking, and you know, some, you know, if I could teach like Jesus, y'all would show up at 10 o'clock. So I understand, and we would be in agreement on that. I don't, I'm sure the Lord, I'm not positive he's a way better teacher than I am, but at any rate, Jesus is teaching, and all this big crowd, and there are these empty fishing boats that the nets have been taken out of, and they're probably just pulled up on the shore. I don't know if you can see that in your mind but with that in mind let's go to verse 3 it says and he entered into one of the ships which was Simon's and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship so Jesus does a very common thing he uses a boat as a place to speak to a large cloud crowd you ever gone camping on on a lakeside you know, we have some, now, I, maybe the lake is giant like Lake Martin or something. I'm, I'm talking more of a, I don't know. Do we have normal lakes in Alabama? I don't know. But you ever been in a campground on a lake, even in a big lake like Lake Martin or Lake Jordan? You know, isn't it amazing how the sound carries across the waves? In the stillness of night, you're camping there and you can hear kids on the other side screaming or whatever else. And it just works with the acoustics. And it's also interesting that Jesus is seated as he's teaching, which is very common um, for a teacher uh, in a Jewish perspective. So let's go on in the story, right? Verse number four and five, the Bible says, now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the nets. So Jesus gets done teaching and he asked Peter to let down the nets to catch some fish and Peter's initially very resistant now why would Peter be resistant I know it's Wednesday night and I only got 20 minutes left or so but why why do you think Jesus or the the Peter would be resistant when Jesus said hey let down the nets and go out for a catch yeah Hunter no remember he's traveled with him for a while so he does know who he is he's even seen him do miracles at this point Oh, all right. Somebody said they fished all night. They got nothing. Somebody else said they're tired. You know, they, they just started, finished cleaning the nets. Guess what happens if they go out there and put them in the water again? <laughs> got to do it all over again. Um, basically, if I could semi- put the, what y'all have said, I tried that before and it didn't work. God, your way doesn't make sense because these are nets that are not used in the daytime. These are nets that are used at the night. This is the wrong equipment at the wrong time. And God, your way seems like a lot of work. (laughs) Does that sound familiar? I probably, I was thinking to myself, how many of those have been guilty of? Pretty much all of them, repeatedly. But this is, by the way, one of the things I love about Peter. You all heard me talk, you know, he gets a lot of, you know, He's a lot of shade thrown at him, but I admire Peter because Jesus asked him to do something and Peter's resistant to it. And, and from a human perspective, come on, you can, all the reasons you all gave are, they're pretty valid, really, right? 
But you know, most people I found, even when it's their personal relationship with God, are really either afraid or I don't know. Why is it we can't honestly tell God what's on our mind? And we don't find that Jesus rebukes Peter here. And the other guys are standing around too, but once again, do any of them say anything? No. Now, maybe you could say it's because they were all full of faith and they were just going to do what Jesus said. I doubt it. Let's just be honest. They were all thinking the same thing and they probably, they knew Peter pretty well and said, hey, I don't have to say nothing. Don't worry about it. Peter will say it. It's kind of like you have a friend like me around, you know, don't worry, I don't have to say it. Pastor will say it, you know. Um, and sometimes it's not the wisest thing to say, but uh, I love the fact that Peter honestly speaks his mind in front of God and says, God, okay, Jesus, this, I, I just fill you in. We've, we've, been, we've been at this all night and do you understand what kind of nets these are? And you know, fish, they don't get fooled when they can see the net. They, they don't work very well and it's a lot of work and we just got done cleaning them. But then Peter doesn't stop with just saying, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do it. He says, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And it's that part of Peter that I love. He, he honestly says, this is where I am, God. I'm not into what you're asking here. But just because you say so, you know what? I'm going to do it. You want to get everything you want from Jesus? <laughs> when he says do it, do it. Obedience. Obedience, 100%. He did what Jesus asked him to do. Now look what happens, verse 6 and 7. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break and they beckoned unto their partners. You know, apparently they were all in business together and they were in the other ship that they should come and help them and they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. Again, you think about this in your mind. Just, just filling up both. How long would it take them to go out there on their own and fill two ships to almost the point they're sinking full of fish? Which translates in their line of work you know, yeah, like Jason, you doing 15 garages in an afternoon with spray foam. Come on, get that done. Or, you know, Kyle, you, you fixing 50 lock things in an hour, you know. Um, it's like Brock getting one tooth fixed in three days. Um, Uh, just kidding. You never tease a dentist, especially when it's your own. I, I retract that statement because one of these days, Friday night long, I'm going to be one going, huh? Um, so, um, <laughs> but look what happens when they obey Jesus. There's fish everywhere. The nets are breaking. They had to call for help. And I just, in my mind, I think about that site. And I'm sure, you know, just what a, what a life experience these guys are having. Now, let's go on in the story. We're running out of time. Let's go on. Verse 8. And when Peter, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he was astonished. And all they that were with him at the draught of the fishes that they had taken. Look at Peter's response. This is critical again. Why Peter is, you know, I said, why is it most people are always just down on this guy? This is... His response is to fall down in worship and recognize how unworthy he is to even be in the presence of Jesus because of his own personal sinfulness. Whoa. 
I, I know when Peter sees this, he's thinking, he's already seen Jesus heal people. He's seen Jesus cast out demons. But he's saying, now he even has mastery over the fish. The fish obey him. And I thought to myself, I wrote down, when is the last time that we saw God work in such a way that you were so, I put it in quotes, blown away that the only thing you could do is worship and confess your own sinfulness? I would submit probably most Christians seldom, if ever. Has God ever blessed you or shown himself so powerfully that it made you aware of his power and holiness and of your sinfulness? Because I would submit to you that whenever we get into a powerful worship encounter with God, just like Moses, we have to take our shoes off because we're standing on holy ground. I'm not talking, say you can take your shoes off. We understand that the place I'm in is a holy place because God's presence is manifesting itself very, himself very strongly. Now I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I don't put it in the comment sections because I know what you're thinking. And correct me, well, you don't, don't, you don't have to speak out loud or put it in the comments. You can if you want to. But I know what you're thinking. You're saying, if God did something like this for me, I'd believe too. If God did something like this for me, I'd believe too. My response is, really? We're not that different. And I personally would submit that throughout our walk, if we're honest, God does do some things, but... The bottom line is God has given us his revealed word. That's how he primarily reveals himself to us today is through the word of God. And as you and I, as a Christian, you'll go through seasons sometimes. I've had them in my life where there's been seasons in my life that God sent me out to the desert and said, I'm going to put you in a position of faith. I'm not going to say a whole lot. You're just going to have to trust me. Even when you don't hear me, even when you don't, that, that, that is part. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to really come to know God, those seasons are required. And they are not fun, by the way. I don't like them. That's why every time when I get out of one and I pray and I see what God was trying to teach me, I say, Lord, don't let me forget that lesson because I don't want to take the test again. Some Christians spend their entire life retaking test number one. I, I'm just telling you, as somebody, I'm, get, I'm an older guy again I, at this point in my ministry. I, I have not met someone who faithfully followed God in obedience, not perfectly, because all of us, as we studied Sunday, we still live in this flesh that has a fleshly mindset, doesn't want to do what God wants to do. But you show me somebody who says, Lord, I want to do what you tell me to do. When you tell me to put out the nets again, I'll put them out. But the reality is, I promise you that most Christians, most Christians are going to say, I have tried that before and it didn't work. I have toiled all night. I did it again and again and again and again and again and again. I prayed and I prayed and prayed and, prayed and nothing happened, so I'm done. I tried that. I've talked to Christians who no longer live in their faith, so I tried that and it didn't work for me. Or, it's the wrong time. This isn't the time I need to do that, Lord. You're asking me to do, put down, put, do this act of obedience over here. Don't you know what's going on in my life right now? This is not the right time. This is not when you do this. 
Don't you realize that financially money's a little tight right now? This is not the time for me to be giving away more money, though you've told me to give someone help a need, me to need, or give, give an extra. This is not the time to do that. Don't you know, God, what the interest rates are? Or that's too hard. I don't know which one of the excuses is most used. Maybe that's too hard. Because I have found that most of the time we know what God wants us to do. We just don't want to do it. I said this Sunday and I'll say it again tonight, when you apply biblical principles to marriage, it works every time. But when you have lived your life as a selfish person and then you get into a marriage relationship and you know that God says you have to deny yourself, that's hard. And it's not a matter of, well, it doesn't work. No, the, the problem is we are not being obedient to do in some area of our life what God has clearly told us we ought to be doing. That's how do you get everything you want from Jesus is be obedient to whatever Jesus tells you to do. Simple. Now, let's see, though. I want to close with one more thought, and we're going to be done. Matter of fact, I might even get done early. Woohoo! Um, look at the end of this story, verse 10 and 11. Um, and so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, for henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, do you see, when I read Mark about how Jesus shows up on the shore, tells them to follow him, and they forsake all, and they follow him. Do you understand now, when you see the whole picture, <laughs> it makes a little more sense all of a sudden? Um, Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John into full-time discipleship. Again, in first century Judaism, and, and as a rabbi, you had some folks that would come every now and then, but then you had some disciples that, that would follow you full-time, and the rabbi would provide for them, and that was kind of the deal. Dr. Frutenbaum talks about that at some length earlier in our series. Um, but Jesus basically asked them to leave the family business, get out of their comfort zone, and trust him on a whole new level. Now, this is what he calls for these four guys right here. There was a whole, remember there's a whole crowd of people there? He didn't ask every single one. This was not his will for every single person who was on the shore. <laughs> he didn't tell them all. Now, we know that Jesus later would say in, in, in Matthew that, you know, any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But, but God calls you to do what he calls you to do. And for these guys, what God wanted out of them was full-time discipleship to leave behind their fishing and seek after something that is, was of more value than a, two full fishing boats almost sinking full of fish. In other words, the biggest payday they could have ever had, the most job security they'd ever experienced. And Jesus says, I want to call you to do something that's even greater. I don't know a lot of Christians that would make that trade. Just being honest. Hey, 
there's a boat full of cash or there's my call on your life. Which one do you want? Unfortunately, I know a lot of Christians that take the boat full of cash. Now, I love it when God's will is to follow into some area wherever he calls you and he gives you a, a powerful ministry that also along the way brings a boat full of cash. Love that. <laughs> because when you give a boat full of cash, there's something you should do with that. But for these guys, it was, hey, this is what I'm asking you to do. These guys had already seen Jesus do a lot of miracles. What I was intrigued is, is why were they so mesmerized by this one in particular? The only thing I can come up with this is that the other miracles they saw were all in, in the realm of the spiritual, like in the synagogue. That's something that rabbis would deal with. They would teach scripture and people that were sick would come in there for prayer. And they saw Jesus do things that were just amazing. But now Jesus is working in an area of their life that was their life. This was their neighborhood, if you will. They saw Jesus act as only the very creator himself could act. And as I preached last couple weeks, they reasonably forsake all and follow him. They got done seeing that. I mean, there's part of me going, you know, Kind of hard not, you know, you see, when you watch that happen, you go, hey, and he says, hey, come after me and follow me. I, I think I'm not worried about whether Jesus can feed me, whether he can raise the financial support that is necessary. And in a bigger context, you say, well, why, why are we now at this point getting this story? Wasn't this a story that you get very early on in the ministry when after John Baptist identifies Jesus and we saw the same kind of thing where they were out there fishing and Jesus comes to him and says, hey, follow me. Both, both things are true. Jesus leads these men step by step and Jesus didn't reveal all of this to them on the first day he met them. <laughs> Aren't you glad that when God offers you salvation, it's this free gift, legitimately a free gift? And if you choose to receive it by faith, and I pray that you do, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, Acts 16. When you and I receive that free gift, now the real choices begin. And I'm thankful, I gotta tell you, I am thankful that when God said, I want you to go into full-time ministry, that he did not tell me everything that was gonna be part of that. I may not have chosen it. But on the day he said, this is the next step I want you to take. I want you to finish your Bible school degree and then I want you to work on some graduate school and I just said, yes, Lord. I want you to spend some time in sales and out in the real world with a bunch of heathen sinners. <laughs> I want you to be in the insurance industry. <laughs> That's corrupt. Uh, okay, I'm in, I swam in that pond for a little while. But this was the point where Jesus asked them to sell out on a deeper level. Doesn't mean they weren't committed the week before. I think they were. These are the guys that followed Jesus around. You know, Jesus was thrown out of the synagogue and they were there. They'd already been through some things with Jesus. But now he's asking them for more. I can just tell you, after your time when you got saved, you start walking the steps of faith, there are going to come points on the way that certain areas of your life where God's going to say, you know that area over there? Yeah, that's not 
yeah, it may not be, there's no scripture verse that says, thou shalt not do this. But in your life, I'm telling you, I need you to walk away from that. Will you do it? Will you do it? What do you want to get anything you want from Jesus? I would tell you when he tells you to put the nets down, doesn't matter if it's the wrong time, doesn't matter if it's a lot of work, doesn't matter if it makes sense to you, if you want everything you want to get from Jesus, you do it. Amen? Thank you for listening tonight. We're so glad to have you tuned in. We'll see you on uh, Sunday, Lord willing. And uh, thank you for tuning in. We're going to close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your study of your word. Help us as believers. Um, Lord, I, 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 I want to see some of those miracles where the fish come and you, you do things of, great, of greatness that reminds me that you are the very creator. And Lord, help me in those times to respond in the way that I ought to in obedience. Lord, I pray for every person that's here, maybe trials they're going through, issues they're going through, things they're desiring from you. Give them, build their faith. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. Um.